Uh, for anybody that knows me, has um, kind of heard me over the years here, you know I'm a big fan of the curation that, that Aero Video has been doing over the years. Uh, and so this conversation has been a long time coming and, and I couldn't be more excited uh, to introduce Fran Simeone, who's starting his new label, Radiance Films. Uh, Fran, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me, Chris. Yeah, no, uh, this is uh, truly a treat. Um, I've been a huge fan uh, of the work you've been doing over the last few years, and so I'm, I can't wait to see uh, what what you do here coming going forward. You know, I definitely do want to talk about Radiance Films and, and some of the titles that I'm excited about just right out of the gate. But one of the things I noticed that maybe there'd be a good opportunity just to kind of get to know you a little bit here. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that I've always been interested in is because, you know, I the the what I do know of you, uh, although we're just getting to meet here, you know, in person or in video for the first time, but is that you have uh, very good taste, at least taste that aligns fairly well with with my style. So in my sense, it's good taste. <laughs> um, but the other thing that strikes me is this kind of encyclopedic knowledge of film where you have the ability to go across geography and across, you know, time period and just sort of, you have this really deep well of knowledge. So I'm curious, I, I always am interested in your background. Like when did you kind of start getting into film? Um, I mean, I don't ever remember not um, being obsessive about films, really. I mean, I, I don't think I realised um, just how much of a film obsessive I was okay. until um, probably quite late in life, because it was just it was just something I did. It was it was not something I ever made a conscious effort about. It was always. Um, a place of comfort so it was yeah. it was not sort of something that i studied or or you know in in you know outside of any academic sense i mean i didn't go away and and, and sort of make a conscious effort to investigate various things i just kind of followed my passion and i think that's probably um the way it always was and and to us great degree still is really I mean it's my job now but it is also a great passion as well so um it was always there and my film education is probably not like most people's because it became my job from a young age I mean I got my first job when I was 18 and wow. Doing by, what? Pure, by pure luck it was a film company nice. I didn't didn't think I was going to work in film at all um in that respect, I was probably really naive and um, quite sheltered in a way. I just sort of thought, oh, you know, I'll get a kind of bog standard job that, you know, you kind of pick out of a line of really obvious jobs. You know, I never really thought about all the jobs that could be out there and things that I could do. I just kind of went for the most banal thing, which is an accountant. Um, okay. because I was found numbers you know fairly easy to get on with so I kind of thought you know that'll be okay and it uh -huh. probably pays pretty well blah 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 uh -huh. and um, so I went off to do that but for a film company which was just um, amazing luck as I say and um, I got there and they ran cinemas they were previously a distributor so there was all this stuff everywhere you know previous VHS releases posters stills transparencies like all this amazing stuff that when I sort of saw it I was like well this is really cool and 
you know what do they do with this and you know what what was the purpose of this thing and how did this work and um, was it successful because the company had stopped being a distributor at that point they ran cinemas so there was all the new releases as well but all the people who worked there um which was fairly atypical for the industry were proper film fans uh, i mean all into different things we had like a guy who was you know into a lot of sci-fi and tv and stuff like that and another guy who's really into um 80s movies and horror um someone else who was the main film guy like the programmer who's into just all manner of stuff like surf movies and new wave movies and you know had an immense knowledge um of all kinds of cinema classic studio era stuff so i was surrounded by all this sort of amazing knowledge and quickly realized i didn't want to be an accountant anymore so um <laughs> uh, i sort of tried to figure out what i wanted to do and then went to university as a mature student so i started studying university when i was 21 and studied a film degree um, I was always interested in in the practical side of filmmaking and thought maybe I would make films and thought, wrote a few scripts and stuff and that went okay I got some good feedback but ultimately I never got it together uh, but I was studying theoretical um, film uh, rather than practical film um, so I was exposed at that point to an even greater um, mm what's the word um landscape of film um so at that point you know my my work education if you like i'd been exposed to sort of newer world cinema and, and more of the classics and doing my own digging but university introduced me to you know different modes of documentary filmmaking to third cinema to um all sorts really i mean i'm sort of trying to remember it all now it's quite a while ago um <laughs> but that was um that was amazing i was massively inspired by that particularly all the all the third cinema stuff I, I really like Latin American cinema and um all the stuff that was going on there um and that was you know really I mean I didn't love all of it I mean I remember watching Usman Sembini's Yedo which is a bit of a tough watch yeah. but it was really interesting and I, and I loved the discuss discovery aspect of it so I've always been really interested in that even in my my private life I mean you know, I remember sort of being able to see um, Yoshida's films, you know, sort of whatever it was, 15 years ago, and got the confidence, I suppose, which is a lot of it, um, of why we do these things. It is about confidence um, to do them at Arrow. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a great thrill to be able to present those to a wider audience. And there's all sorts of stuff like that. It's things you sort of go digging around and then you're able to sort of work on them in a professional capacity, which is which is really gratifying and, and exciting. Um, so yeah. yeah, that that educational part of my life um, through those different things, through work and university, and and now this job um, has made my my approach to film, I suppose, a bit different to most people's because of where and who I've learned from and the professional sort of access that I have now, being able to sort of get films from producers and being able to watch things that are incredibly rare so um I, I guess that in a way contributes to you know that kind of variety that you mentioned earlier um but i think that kind of sense of discovery was always there really that's what that's what's kind of coming through at least in the titles that you're putting out uh you know starting in january 
Um, but I guess I'm I'm curious now. So, what does that look like for you know five, ten year old Fran? Like, were you watching? Were you always into art house cinema? Did you have kind of like a you know just watching whatever was in the theaters or? No, not at all. I mean, as I said earlier, I was quite sheltered in a way, um, just from certain things, just because I think I just didn't have access. You know, yeah, okay. the internet wasn't a thing. Um, being able to find certain things, I just didn't have that kind of inclination at that young age to go and find books. And to be honest, most of my learning comes from books. Um, okay. You know, when you sort of say, well, where did you find this film? It's like, I probably read about it, whether it's in a book or a, or a magazine or something. Um, but as your a, books have a lot of like scribbled notes on the side and like circles. Um, no, I kind of make lists elsewhere. I'm a bit of okay. a spreadsheet person. Nice. Uh, so I kind of make lists like that more so. Um, but uh, as a young child and even as a teen, I was just much more about sort of Scorsese and crime films and um, Hollywood really I mean I was saying to someone the other day I, I don't remember the first foreign language film I saw because foreign language was never um, never a big moment for me because being um, from an Italian family we always had Italian TV on so okay. the idea of watching films in another language wasn't too alien already um, and we watched stuff on Italian TV like I remember watching um Bud Spencer's TV show, whatever that was called, um, and maybe the odd film here and there. Uh-huh. I remember seeing a, a bit of a Fellini film when I was really, really young, and just sort of it wasn't for me. I didn't watch it. It was yeah, Amacord, yeah. which is oh nice, not not one of my favourites, but a, an interesting film. But seeing it as like a ten year old, um, I remember just sort of watching it, thinking, "What is this? This sort of." this is something to pay a bit of attention to, but ultimately right. got a bit bored and turned it over. Right. So I don't know what my first foreign language film was, but it, it, was, it wasn't like I was a precocious child watching Bresson at 13 years old. Um, that all came later. Um, so yeah. I think that was, and, and maybe this is just a natural interest in lists or maybe the excitement of lists produce more lists, but that probably... You know, just discovering the IMDb Top 250, the AFI Top 100, the Sight and Sound 100 right. Best Films, and, and sort of going through all, all various lists like that. And then, you know, you, you find yourself in various different rabbit holes, whether it's, you know, discovering Kurosawa for the first time or uh, Antonioni or whatever it is. You know, you, yeah. you see these films at the top of the list and and that's the way I naturally went. So because those lists are very sort of canon based, um, my my exposure to to genre films and my my experience of that was pretty low when I got to Arrow. I mean, I started at Arrow when I was twenty six, and at that point, um, it was all really new to me. I mean, I'd seen a few Argentos. I'd seen like Suspiria and Tenebrae. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd seen all the Romeros, um, but I mean, you know, it was all. Different pretty top tier stuff uh, the um yeah. the uh the sort of more obscure things that hadn't sort of permeated the culture um as much were all new to me so you know i'd never seen a fortune film before starting at arrow mm-hmm. um you know a, a lot of it uh, was really completely unknown to me really 
Um, so when I started Arrow, I did sort of feel like um, a bit of an outsider, really. Um, and to a certain extent, I sort of was made to feel that way a little bit. But it was, you know, it was the job I was tasked with. So I kind of got on with it. The first thing I did was I sort of realised, you know, my taste aside, and it was never about me. And I always kind of um, had that view at Arrow because it was always a, a team effort and the team was continually growing. And, you know, the, the, the tastes and experience of the team very much influenced the label. Sure. Um, but even then, you know, when it was just me and the CEO who wasn't, who, who much like me, wasn't a, a huge, you know, um, knowledge base for, for these kinds of, you know, cult and, and genre films. Um, even then I sort of said, well, look, it can't just be horror because once you've done all the horrors that you can get, and at that time it wasn't so much um, a thing to be licensing, you know, big, big movies from studios, um, you're going to be releasing a load of crap um, because, uh-huh. you know, it, there are lots of good horror films, but it's not an, an endless well. Sure. Um, you don't you don't want to be scraping the bottom after a while. And, and I said, you know, if, if people like Romero, you know, they're going to like other things. They, they're going to like Brian De Palma or they're going to like, you know, exploitation movies or, mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. And Battle Royale was, was coming down the the park and I sort of said well you know there are obvious offshoots from all these things so that allowed me to to use more of what I knew so with Battle Royale which I was already a fan of you know I already sort of started thinking well let's go from there to Battles Royale Honor and Humanity you know that would be amazing so there are all different things like that and it was really interesting because that enabled me to get a much more experience in in cult films and genre films and yeah because it's your job and you kind of live it every day, you do kind of start to wonder where, where your own passions end and your job begins. And that's something I I constantly wrestled with. Yeah. In understanding where the line is. It's nice, you know, well, that last point is really interesting. Um, I want to dig into that. There's one thing you said earlier that that I just want to kind of talk about a little bit first, because um, you know, that I had a similar experience, although it was on a smaller scale. I went to go work. I just kind of liked movies and whatever. I didn't, you know, I would have said Shawshank Redemption was the best movie ever made for a long time up until I was, you know, 18. And it's a fine movie. But then I went to go work in a video store, a blockbuster video at the time. It was around 2000, 2001. And it just so happened that that blockbuster video, I was the only person that wasn't a film major. Mm-hmm. And this particular blockbuster had a trauma film section and it was probably one of the only ones in the country because it was a franchise store. So they got to play around a little bit with what they had. Um, And so, you know, I discovered uh, Asian cinema at the time, just Asian cinema. Then I got deeper, but trauma films, I discovered all this stuff through them. And you talk Mm -hmm. about that film school experience for you of just being surrounded by people that, that knew more and you just you, you can't help but kind of get caught up in the excitement, right? Because as they're talking about, you know, um, Lloyd Kaufman, I, like, I had to go figure out who this was and like, I had to, you know, go watch the poultry geist <laughs> yeah. so I could hang in the conversation. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think it's so critical to, in, in like the formative years to have that kind of almost like a community of people that where it's not just you making lists, but it's like you're, you're getting that excitement around certain things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's 
I think for film fans, there's nothing more pleasurable to be involved in conversations like that. It, it, it is a bit difficult to replicate that online because it's not so much a conversation. It's just sort of reading various different posts and people can, you know, essentially write up mini reviews. It's not so much a conversation. So it's, it's difficult to kind of capture the, um, the, uh, the kind of special quality that that, that can bring, I think. But yeah, you know, that is that is an amazing way to be exposed to different films. And it's difficult. You know, that's what makes my job hard because, you know, when you're when you're doing films that aren't immediately obvious, it is difficult to get people to buy into them if they don't have conversations like that. So yeah. I am quite dependent on people, you know, being adventurous and and in, enjoying the sense of discovery for for what it is rather than. I suppose but I, being a bit more cynical, uh, you know, as is natural, I think, because it's it's money at the end of the day. You know, Blu-rays sure. aren't cheap to buy. So I totally get that people might be cautious or, you know, have a bit of buyer's remorse occasionally. Um, you know, I understand that. Um, but I think, you know, certainly with Radiance, um, you know, I, I want to do a good, a good mix because my tastes aren't, as is probably obvious, um, aren't narrow um you know a lot of people sort of said to me oh you're focused on such a wide set of films and that's kind of played in my mind a bit I, I sort of look back and think well what are the other labels doing that makes me seem a lot wider and I never wanted to be just an Asian film label or just an Italian film label I mean sure that just doesn't that doesn't sort of seem right to me it's sort of like well I know there's loads of other great films from these other areas so why would I not do those well, I, that's actually a strength. I, I see it as a strength, and I want to get in there. I just have to say very quickly, it's funny that of all the things you you called out, you called out battles with without honor and humanity because that was so. That's film specifically. I saw that there was a, a Asian film festival in Dallas, two thousand. I don't know, two thousand two, two thousand three, somewhere in that range, where I was going to university, and they they showed that the the first one. Um, and I just remember sitting back, and I had some exposure to Asian films at that point. I was getting a little bit into Takashi Miike already, and, and just there was a little bit of exposure. Um, but I remember just sitting back and thinking, like, that's a really cool way to do a crime film. Like, this mm -hmm. is amazing. And so, you know, it was that, that just happened to be a very seminal film for me. And so that was actually one of the main reasons. I, I kind of went through a period where I stopped collecting just from because of work, trying to get stuff off the ground and getting a family and all these different things. I took about a 10 year break. I got back into collecting around 2018, 2019. And then there was this company that was around that had only been kind of in its infancy when I stopped called Arrow. And I found you because of, or I found them because of Battles Without Honor and Humanity. And then I started digging around and I was like, I like this. This company is awesome. Um, so anyways, just of all the ones you called out, that was, uh, that was, uh, the, the way that I found you inadvertently. Um, but, um, there, there's one, you know, I think what I, what I like about just, just going back to your comment about, um, being diverse, you know, there's, there's connective tissue and in, in the experience of watching different, different kinds of movies. Right. And I don't know, I'd have to see some of these films to, to try to find that for, for you specifically, but you know, if you have the ability to put out Red Sun, for example, you do it, right? Because like, that's a film that's lost, relatively lost, and like, needs to be seen. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that is the interesting part of it. You know, the connective tissue is a really good way of putting it because, you know, once once you get one thing and, and the extras, I think, will help with this. And that's what's exciting about doing these releases is that you do get to explore. Um, and that can be wider. You know, you can get into that film and then go, oh, OK, well, this is this whole other side of the new German cinema I didn't really realise. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Red Sun will go into that. And that's what's really exciting. And then potentially there's there's other films that you go, oh, okay, well, this is sort of similar. It's from a similar era or or maybe it's by the same filmmaker or whatever it is. And then you, you lead into this whole other um, area of film. And I think that's that's really exciting. And it's it's a shame in a way that the industry is kind of built on essentially algorithms, really. I mean, it's not always exactly algorithms, but it's basically the same principle in that, okay audiences liked this one film by this one director so we'll do five more and right. uh-huh. unfortunately that's not always a good thing because maybe that director didn't have five other good films maybe they only had three um and it, and, and it, it just does become this kind of regurgitation um for the labels to be able to sort of do that and maybe it's just because that's what's realistic for the market rather than the labels or being bad that's not what i'm saying um that's just sometimes the the um the realities of the market um and it's not like this is all down to the labels either you know it's easy to just say the label because they're the one that releases it but it's very much down to the studios as well you know they're the ones who sort of create their sales lists around these kinds of things or you know these kind of you know, very obvious ways to market or sell films. And, you know, it's not uncommon for a label to go to a, to a company and sort of say, what do you know about this film? And for them to sort of say nothing, basically. Oh, interesting. Um, uh-huh. but, they, but they do own that film and maybe they've got some materials for it, but they don't even realise or it got left off a list or, you know, some paperwork needs to be checked. And, and, and that can, can withhold certain films or you know there's this films i've recently discovered in preparing for radiance that have absolutely blown me away but you know there's nothing written about them or the licensors don't really know much about them or there's not the material or they're just not not an active conversation and you know it's that's all those difficulties then combined to sort of frustrate releases when people sort of say Oh, have you ever thought about this? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to do that, but unfortunately, it's just me and you talking about it. So, right, right, um, right. yeah, it, it's you know, it's a mixture of sort of emotions, the whole sort of journey that you go on from sort of that first, you know, discovery of film as we're talking about loving it and wanting to share it, but then you know, from a business point of view, having these challenges. Going a level deeper uh, is something that I've always been fascinated by. And I think one of the ones that jumps out to me is the Casa Nostra set that you're putting out. Um, mm. You know, the idea of being able to go um, a level deeper into Franco Nero and see him outside of Django and kind of see him in this new light. Because uh, he was an extremely prolific actor, actually. And, uh, you know, I think most people kind of view him in, in one way as far as the Westerns. You know, maybe that's like the first thing that comes to mind. Um, so I can't wait for these these films to come out. Um, did you or were those all through the same rights holder? No, they weren't. Um, okay. I I was going to say most of my boxes up, but uh, 
it's probably a mixture. I mean, some of the box sets are like um, my big thing with box sets is is putting together something that um, is really satisfying to watch as a as a collection rather than you do kind of get just director collections, which I've done plenty of at Arrow and, and, and they were good. Um, but they're always, there's always a little bit of a frustration with them because it's kind of like this film doesn't really fit or wouldn't it be good if it were just these and this other one or, so that's, okay. that's what I'm trying to do um, with Radiance. And there are a few box sets that I've got planned, some director collections, some sort of theme collections. Um, it's, it's a real nice mixture, but what I like about all the box sets so far is that they're, for me at least, is that they're, they're pretty perfect. I mean, mm. Cosa Nostra has, has not got anything in it that I would take away. The only thing with that is that I would add uh, Confessions of Police Captain, which is another Franco Nero okay. uh, mafia-influenced or mafia-based story, um, which was directed by Damiani, but we can't find the rights, unfortunately. So, um, but all the box sets are are you know cur curated in that way, and uh, I'm really enjoying putting them together. But to that one, yeah, I mean, Franco Nero's got a lot more to offer than than Django, which personally I think is an okay film. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great sort of uh, easy film to sort of say, you know, this is a good example of the spaghetti western. But I think Franco Nero did better work, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it, 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 the first two films in the set, I think, are are really, really, really strong films. Um, and but Franco Nero, in particular, uh, with the second film, is that the case is closed one of his best performances, I think. Um, he's really, really good in it. Um, and it's, it might be a bit of a discovery for people because he's, I think in these films you see, he's actually a really good actor. And I think in, mm. in some some other films maybe that have been released, it's kind of, he's sort of maybe playing more his own sort of type, if you like, with these. Yeah, sort sure. of, they're more serious. So um, there's another dimension to his performances, I think. Um, which is really interesting. Um, so yeah, they, that's it's, it's great to be able to dig into things like that and, and show other sides of directors or actors or you know eras even, um, which is fun. Well, so speaking of that, one of the biggest surprises to me on Blu-ray so far is that just as a as a whole, is that Todd Salons doesn't have more stuff coming out. And, you know, I, so maybe it's just my age, but, you know, I grew up when he was kind of in his prime. So when I was getting into film, I was watching his movies in the theater and, you know, Welcome to Dollhouse is certainly has its rougher elements, but it's, it's not quite as hard as some of his films to watch, uh, but it's such a amazing movie. And were, were you surprised that that was available or was that one of the things that early on you knew, like, okay, if I have my label, like Todd Salance is getting some love? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> um, so I, I wasn't familiar with Welcome to the Dollhouse before starting Radiance. I'd seen okay. his later films and enjoyed that. Well, enjoyed, I don't know if that's the right word, but I thought <laughs> Appreciate that was very it. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think he's a, he's a great filmmaker, you know, in terms of what he does. Um, but I never sort of thought, oh, you know what people want to own and probably watch a few times and, you know, really dig into is, is happiness or, or, you know, right. palindromes, exactly. you know. Exactly. Um, but um, 
I, I know those films. I thought they were very good. So when Welcome to the Dark Hearts came along, I was like, oh, okay, let's see what it's like, you know. And uh, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So I thought, yeah, definitely, you know, this because I, I love that era of filmmaking, um, 90s, Sundance, Independent. You know, right. to me, it's a kind of mirror of the 70s, really, you know, in, in a slightly different way. It wasn't studio-based, it was independent, but you had directors with these great, vision and you know you had really which i love idiosyncratic filmmaking um that's a great example of it but once once i was doing the release and, and the reaction hit to it i was like wow this is amazing um even i became convinced um that we need <laughs> happiness and and palindromes and and storytelling you know all these films on blu-ray that, that aren't available yet and um it is it's just that kind of different thing between when you're inside it doing it and your perspective of what people want versus being a fan and a customer and sometimes it is difficult um when you're working the job to kind of have that perspective to keep mm, keep yeah. the, the kind of the punters um mindset um but yeah then i was sort of starting with welcome to Dalhouse. house i thought yeah you know i want that Todd Salon section on my shelf you know maybe I won't watch happiness over and over again but I do want it on the shelf you know it's a, it's a great great film to me he's he's very much like Gaspar Noe in the sense that it's not what the story is about but it's the way that he approaches the story that's just kind of jarring and it and and it forces you to talk about it like you can't help but engage in or, or go you know i guess if you're online go read reviews you can't help but engage the film in some way because you watch his movies and you're just like what what, is, what what was that and and then you know it forces you to think about it which is one of my favorite you know things that a, that a movie can do uh is is after you've done, you done you don't really just go to the next one you just kind of you're just thinking about it a little bit you know you're like what is what did i just see yeah yeah absolutely yeah i think it's it's a it's a funny one really because it's difficult to sort of definitively say this kind of film sells really well because there are many examples where that will never hold up. So, you know, when you when you come to Todd Salons or to Gaspar Noe, you can't say, oh, you know, feel bad films or or or, or films which are you know challenging to watch are going to sell well if they're of a certain quality because sure. there'll be ones that just don't. Sure. Um, and there are films which are maybe less good, but are a great fun time that people will say, yeah, I know it's not brilliant, but, you know, it's it's good to stick on on a on an evening of a, after a long day or whatever and have a good time with it. But there'll be examples where that doesn't work either. So when you're sort of approaching something, you think, oh, this is like there is a film that I've got, which is, you know, a feel bad movie. And, you know, you come away and you just feel drained. But after I thought about it, it was a similar kind of thing. Where I just sort of thought, but it's it's really, really good and it just deserves to be out there. And I just basically said, I don't care. I'm just going to do it. Awesome. Um, I'm doing that quite a lot, which is a bit dangerous. Um, so I, I hope I'm getting more things right than wrong. But um, it comes back to that sort of mindset I mentioned about being more of a punter. And uh, that's the way I'm approaching the label. It's kind of like, well, if I bought this Blu-ray, what would I want? And yeah. I'm I'm doing that much more than than not really. Um, I mean, the approach previously was sort of 
and became stricter and stricter at Arrow. I mean, that was part of the reason why I wanted to move on. I wanted to be much more nimble, much more, um, much more from the gut rather than let's you know analyze this and let's look at the sales and let's do a budget and let's you know uh-huh. work to these you know specific uh-huh. things that we have to do whether it's like the spend or the package or the you know whatever all those different things so now i'm just kind of like yeah chuck another essay in oh yeah this didn't get touched on let's just make a new extra um <laughs> i just i'm just doing that for all the releases I'm not really monitoring anything at all the um, the uh the chartered accountants uh in the world are cringing at that statement uh yeah yeah absolutely. you've gone well, to the other side uh, <laughs> <laughs> fortunately i haven't got anyone breathing down my neck on it you know in that regard so it's amazing for me to have that kind of liberation yeah to to um to not play by the rules really i mean you know even when i started there was this thing about like well you can't have booklets that are more than sort of 40-ish pages and when I was planning, I was like, I've just got booklets in here that are 70 pages long. And I just went back to the to the the people who kind of look after these things and said, look, let's figure this out. So in in the working class goes to heaven, it's a 52 page booklet. And, you know, I got in everything I wanted to get in with. Um, no, it's a 56 page booklet with work uh, with um, a woman kills. It's a 52 page booklet because I just go from the perspective that these are all the things I want let's do that and then anything that just can't be done we'll figure out a way around it or you know we'll change it so it is it is all sort of like uncompromising at the moment which is feels good that's wonderful um I'm so glad that we get to be a part of your uh, midlife crisis and uh, and track <laughs> along with you because it's, it's you know it's funny you, you speak specifically about working class goes to heaven I literally have that on my screen that's the one I was going to call out next because you know we we talked about Todd Salons and not not that Elio Petri I would I would never put them in the same sentence but th- this idea that people may only know investigation of a citizen above suspicion or something right and now there's this cool opportunity to go no 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 he like he's a, a excellent filmmaker overall you know check yeah. this out. Um, so I can't, I can't wait. I've actually never seen that movie, but I can't wait to watch it. That's a March, is that right? Or is that a February? Uh, January. Oh, oh, even better. Yes, perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's um, one of the first ones then. So yeah, I can't, I can't wait to dive into that. Um, yeah, Petri is, I think, a great filmmaker. I mean, he's one of uh, a few fa- filmmakers I discovered, you know, a long, long time ago, along with like Francesco Rosi and um, Pontecorvo and, Mazzelli and you know all these kinds of Italian filmmakers, Bellocchio, who were making these films in the sort of 60s, 70s, and, and later even, um, who were you know outside of that kind of you know Antonioni and Fellini kind of pillar of sort of quality, um, and they made sort of much more individual films, and and the influences. Uh, particularly with with working class goes to heaven is are really fascinating, and um, it's it's a film I think it will take people by surprise because it's although it kind of looks like always looks like on the face of it, like a Ken Loach film or something it's kind of okay. like gritty and you know it's set in a factory and it's about workers' rights but um, it's it's a really striking film and the way it's shot is is absolutely stunning but also it's like bombastic as well and it's like the humor of it and um, 
and Volante's performance is wild and um, the lineage of the film goes back to Italian comedies, which is really fascinating to read. I mean, I didn't even make that connection watching the film. Um, and um, when when that was sort of mentioned by the guys doing the booklets, um, or, or one of them, I can't remember which one it is, um, I was like, oh God, yeah, that's just so interesting. Because the Italian comedy is something I'm, I've become a fan of. I was sort of thinking about Radiance, like I'd seen Big Deal on Madonna Street. Um, mm -hmm maybe one other and i've dug into that genre a lot over the last year or so um and, and prior actually i tried to do it arrow but it didn't really work no one was interested um so i'm doing it at radiance and and the italian sort of comedy boom the commedia all'italiana mm -hmm. as it was called um is is fascinating and the, and the films are are really good so then to track that connection from working class wasn't intentional at all but um it's another rabbit hole, I think, that we were talking about earlier. So you find this thing and it's like, oh, okay, well, how does this connect? And yeah. oh, okay, are, they, are, are those films a lot darker than Big Deal Madonna Street, which is the first one, suggests? And it's like, yes, they absolutely are. And um, and much more serious as well, really, um, you know, with the with the issues they talked about. So that's a whole other exciting thing to get into at some point. But um, yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, I could easily go for another 45 minutes. I can't believe how fast this time flew by. Um, I, I just have to ask, uh, you know, um, when I saw that you brought in Kat to to help uh, with Radiance in some capacity, uh, I was very excited because, you, you you know, you talk about this idea of, of a community coming together and her, you know, life is out there for everybody to hear. She's done so many commentaries at this point. Uh, she's such a well-known voice in film. Uh, and so I, I'm excited. I, I hope, you know, I, I'm assuming that y'all are, as Radiance continues on, y'all are both kind of curating together and just kind of, edge, you know, kind of egging each other on and pushing each other. Is that, is that kind of how that goes? Yeah, um, I think it will be a while before that kind of materializes because most of the early stuff is sort of more me. But there is one film that I kind of, you know, practically bought for Cat to work on. Um, so you know she's having a great time getting her teeth into that there's other other films which we have shared passion for um which we're both really excited about that we're going to work on um and then there's other other things that we've both been discovering at the same time through this work there's a film unfortunately which i can't seem to get because the rights holder is a bit of a nightmare and it's not restored um that we sort of discovered whilst looking and talking about the kinds of films and filmmakers that we wanted to work on so yeah, I fully expect that there'll be those kinds of things coming up. Um, and with Tom Mayers as well, who um, is really involved uh, in the same capacity um, and, and, and likewise, you know, films that we're discovering or films that I'm suggesting to him, are like, yeah, this is really good, let's do that. Um, and uh, Alexandra Helen Nicholas um, was involved a little bit. She had to step back for personal reasons. Um, but there are films coming up where she previously recommended it and I've been able to get it and I've, we're working together in a sort of smaller capacity or other films that I'm discovering and I'm kind of like, oh man, who's written about this? And, and she has. So it's, it's quite sort of interesting that these things sort of go around this way. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's good to kind of have their input and, and for us to work collaboratively. I do like working with people a lot. So yeah, I'm always up for, for that kind of collaboration. 
Um, well, I, I'm one of these, I forget exactly what you called it, but the ones that gets a three years worth of Radiance films just sent to me. So I can't, I can't wait to see what you do. Um, I, I trust the, your, your curation game. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm very happy that you're, that you're doing this and, you know, thank you for kind of being bold and, and putting your voice out there in the world and saying, no, I want to, I want to make something that's kind of my own. Um, because I, I think you'll, you'll find if you haven't already seen this, but a lot of people share your taste. And so I think it's going to be a wildly successful journey for you. And I'm very happy to, uh, be speaking with you, you know, sort of b before it officially kicks off, even though I know you've been working on it for a while. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, ho I hope so. I mean, it, the aim for me really is just to release more and more films. So uh, the more I'm able to do that, the, the happier I'll be. Um, just quick fire, like three questions that are just like, you know, one sentence answers. Are there going to be standards after the numbered sellout or is that a case by case? It's case by case. I mean, I think some things won't won't have standards that just probably have their space in the market in the limited edition and that's it okay. they're going to disappear i'm gonna there is something i'm working on that i think might just be more upfront with that to sort of say look this is a one shot and that's it okay but um, it, it's, um it's down to the title sure no i yeah like you said you, the certain ones they don't they just don't have an unlimited capacity to sell right they have it's it's nice if it's two thousand or three thousand or um spine number right you're you're doing a spine number system correct yeah okay cool um and then the best way to buy to where more money goes into fran's pocket to be able to invest into more films is through radiancefilms.co.uk yes it is i would love to have a u.s website at some point um but uh it's not something i can take on right now yeah that's the alternative okay. to uh, that is buying from the mvd website or like diabolic or something like that okay okay awesome well um thank you grazie and uh we'll i hope you know after another 12 months 18 months once you're kicking up and running love to have you back on and just kind of see how it's been for you yeah that'd be great awesome okay well hey fran thanks for taking the time thanks for having me